You're listening to Secrets of a Bridal Seamstress podcast. I'm your host, Nadine Bozeman. In this podcast, I'm sharing business systems and strategies specifically tailored to the bridal sewing industry so you can build your own modern and profitable bridal alterations business. Join me as I also get to chat with fellow seamstresses and share their personal success stories. I'm so glad you're here and that we can grow together in this unique trade. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Secrets of a Bridal Seamstress. I hope that you're doing so well with a fresh start in 2024. Maybe you have some fun projects going on that have nothing to do with bridal sewing, but maybe like business projects behind the scenes or some home projects. For those of you who are listening, this is not going to apply to you like at all, but most of our podcast consumers do listen to the podcast. But for those of you who watch on YouTube, I'm about to make the background a little more interesting for you. So this, I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm recording in my home office. And so I didn't put too much stock in my background and I'm like, okay, this is the year 2024. I'm going to get some cute stuff on the walls. I'm going to have my focus wall for the YouTubes. And I'm really excited about that. So that is the project that I have going on behind me. And if you could see, I like what is going on outside this frame, you may be a little concerned because it's kind of a hot mess in here, but it's going to be something great once it's finally done. So if you are watching, thank you for returning each week, even with these blank walls behind me. I mean, there's a couple things in the wall, but definitely not like eye catching. So I'm going to upgrade that a little bit. Let's see what else do I have going on. I'm baking bread. I'm trying to master a new bread recipe. So That's been exciting around here. I'm also going through, I don't know what this is or what this like says about my psyche, but I have it in me to finish all of these whips. So those sewist friends out there, you know, that means works in progress. We have quite a few of those that just pile up and I know that's like normal for creative people, but this year I'm going to finish some of this stuff. And I actually feel like motivated to finish them because I've had these quilts in a pile in bins for maybe three years. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I want to finish it. So I have this one quilt that I'm really excited about. I found Pendleton wool, like suiting wool at a local thrift store for literally like seven bucks for four yards per pattern. So I had five different stacks of this Pendleton wool it all coordinated. So somebody must have gone on a spree and then just didn't use it. It's definitely vintagey because it has that little, like a little bit of a musty smell. So I put it in the dryer with whatever you put in for that wool treatment to freshen it up a little bit. And then I'm making a flying geese quilt with that wool. And I love to machine quilt or machine piece and hand quilt. Like if I have time to hand quilt, like I love hand quilting. So today on my dining room table, I have the quilt top all laid out and I'm going to be basting it this afternoon and the hand stitching is going to start tonight. So that feels really good. I also have this wool coat that I started. What's up with wool? I don't know. I'm. It's a trend. I purchased this beautiful lavender wool from Mood Fabrics with this really cool lining. I actually posted about it years ago. This is probably two and a half years ago. Like I 
I bought the fabric. I got the sew over at London pattern. I was like so excited to bust this thing out. And I did. I, I busted it out like the pattern and I got a head start on the first steps of putting the jacket together. And then it got put in a pile. That was right before we bought our current house. And so there was a move that put the coat in the back burner and it was in this pile. But I'm like, okay, this, this is the season where the coat's going to get finished, going to get the buttons. And all I have to do is put the lining in put my buttons on and sew my buttonholes. And it's like, that's it. So why, why are the final steps so hard? I don't know. So anyway, in case you wanted to know, that's what's happening in my life. <laughs> but for me, I know I've talked about this before. Like I definitely have a slow season and I have been soaking up all of this time at home, this extra time at home. So I hope it's the same for you if you're able to have a little break in your schedule. But I know that some of you, it's like, year round. You don't have like a wedding season. It's just a year round thing. So either way, hope you're having a great start to 2024. And today I want to talk about money goals in 2024. So last week we had an episode about smart goals and like how to develop them and how to really fine tune what your goals should be and break it down. And if you had not had a chance to do so, there's a free download available for you to help you break up your goals by using the SMART goal chart. And it has some journaling prompts and questions for you to just streamline everything. I love writing things down and I love putting things in lists and breaking things down to smaller steps. So I hope that's what the download does for you. And it's totally free. So you can sign up for that in the show notes. But today I want to talk a little bit about money. And this is going to be a really quick overview of how to raise your average ticket in 2024. We can totally delve in more into this. And this would be more of like a one-on-one -on -one call because we're going to do so like in a really in-depth level. I'd want to know more about your business and do a little bit of market research with your surrounding seamstresses and your surrounding businesses. This is also a topic that we're really delving into within the membership. So we're talking about how to financially plan through 2024. So, you know, knowing what months are your up and down months, how do you plan ahead, whether it's just saving your money for the slower seasons or coming up with a game plan to diversify your offerings so you can make money outside of just your alterations. We're talking about all those things within the membership. We're covering profit first. I don't know if you've read that book. It's a great one. And we have a training coming up to review the profit first methodology and how to apply it to our small businesses. Because if you've read the book, it, it definitely mm, it appeals to small business owners and also like CEOs. So you can definitely get caught up in all the lingo and feel like, oh my goodness, how do I use this in my small business. So we're having a profit first training. So that January, February, early March, we're really feeling confident with what we're doing with our money and like put how much do we put back into the business or how much do we save and just being wise stewards of the money that we're making. So today, this, like I said, be kind of a brief overview, but I want to give you a few quick ideas of how to raise, raise your average ticket. Cause this is kind of the time of year where you're like, okay, am I charging enough? What's everybody else charging? And, I, you know, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I don't want you to walk away from this episode and in any way feel like I am condoning you to, like, gouge your clients, okay? And I'm I'm not out here to, to help you get rich quick or anything like that, but it, it, I am really passionate about you charging what you're worth and you being aware of what other service providers in your area are charging so you can charge equitably. And I, I want to make sure that you're not undercharging or undercutting 
I've used that term before, when you charge significantly less than your competitor and it kind of like throws the ecosystem <laughs> in your bridal sewing local market, it throws it off because there needs to be compatibility, right? Among your peers. So I want you to charge equitably, equitably for yourself, for your clients and for your fellow seamstresses that are local to you. And if you are taking time away from your family, if you're taking time away from home or from your interests or whatever, and you're choosing to put that time into your business, I want to make sure that you are paying yourself well just for those hours that you have away from home. So whether this is your full-time passion or this is a side hustle, whatever your financial goals are, if you are paying your mortgage bill, or if you're just trying to save up vacation money, whatever it is, your time is still just as valuable. Whatever your financial goals are, your work is just as valuable. And I want to encourage you to charge what you are worth professionally and have more confidence in, in charging what you're worth because, or what your work is worth. I don't want to equate your worth to money, but what your work is worth. Okay. And I don't know if this resonates with you at all, but I know for me, when I started sewing, especially when I started doing alterations, I was doing it for coworkers and for friends. And it was really difficult for me to take a step back and think, okay, this is no longer going to be a hobby or, you know, a way for me to like bless my friends and coworkers. This is going to be a career choice for me. And how do I change my mindset to have prices reflect Nadine, the business owner, instead of reflecting, okay, Nadine, oh, the friend who sews and can help out friends and friends of friends, whatever. There does have to be that switch. And I know for me, it was really difficult. I don't take it lightly. And if, especially if you are coming from a place where you were kind of a hobby sewist or doing this kind of on the side and you're moving into a more professional look into this bridal sewing business, it can be very difficult to raise your prices or just have a fair view of your prices. So this is a really long intro, but there's just so many facets to it. I know there's a lot of motions that come with, with finances and with money and it's funny, I've been sharing some reels on Instagram about money-making myths and the input that has come back. I've gotten some like really great DMs and then I've gotten some other messages that it's like, it's a, it's definitely a sensitive topic. And so I want to be careful as I cover this. I don't want anybody to walk away feeling like a schmuck or feeling like, like I said, like I'm encouraging you to gouge clients. Absolutely not. But I do want you to feel confident to charge your professional worth. Okay. Anyways, let's go ahead and move forward. <laughs> okay. So I have four tips. Okay. This like, this will be nice little overview. If you want any more details about each of these items, or if you want more ideas, you can reach out to me, DM me, email me, all of that is within the show notes. And I'm happy to delve into this more for you. Okay. Number one, let's talk about inflation. Okay. We've heard that phrase I don't know how much since uh, 2020. And so inflation has affected our national economy and it's also affected our local economy. And so this is a great place to start. So if you're kind of thinking, okay, how do I just like, what, how do I even start raising prices and do this fairly and, you know, across the board, whatever, consider what the percentage of your local inflation is. And that's, the percentage that you will increase your prices. So say if you know you're seeing a 6% local increase in I think here in our area I feel like it's 9% inflation 
in, in the Pacific Northwest. So whatever your local, hyper-local inflation rate is, that's what you can use to as the percentage of increase for all of your individual prices. So say if you know you charge $100 a hem, you have your local inflation rate has been like 5% this past year. So you add 5% to that $100 hem, and that's what you do through your whole line of items. And it's just like, hey, 5% increase across the board. And you'll notice too that other service providers in your area, retailers in your area are raising their prices to match inflation. So it just makes sense that you do the same thing. And like I said, you can do this like on a, if you want to think federally, or I always just think it's more appropriate to think locally because you are a local service provider. So it makes more sense that way. If you have not done so yet, I would encourage you to have a printed out list of your prices so that you are not coming up on the fly of what you should charge your clients on the spot. I know that can be really tempting if you're just getting started, or maybe this has just kind of been your habit for years and you're like, well, this kind of looks like this amount. Oh, and I know, I know her or she's paying for her own wedding. And so I should charge this. If you have a typed out list of each alteration item and you're looking at in ink as you're drawing up the contract or you're drawing up the estimate, that's going to be a lot easier for you to stick to your guns and to stick to your rates that you set for yourself in advance, as opposed to coming up with a price on the spot. So that's a little free little tidbit, but if you don't have a pre-established list of prices, I would really encourage you to get that going now. Obviously it's going to change and ebb and flow with the different um, gowns and, and fabrics that you're working with. And I understand that like all the skills provide, like one hem is not everybody's hem, but you should have a list going for each individual alteration. You know, who's a great resource for this is Adrienne Gonzalez. She's been on the podcast before. I believe her Instagram is the creatable lady and she's on YouTube as well. And she's really transparent about her prices. She has this super thorough spreadsheet where she has itemized every single thing that she could possibly do to address. And I'm sure she's still like editing it as she goes along, but it's like every kind of way to raise straps or every kind of way to, you know, hem the dress. And she has her price list pre-typed out. So when she's writing up that contract, she just knows this is the amount that I preset based on the hourly rate that I know that I want to get paid. And she's not having to come up with it on the fly. So thank you so much, Adrian. And I feel like this topic, Adrian, this spreadsheet is so famous. And I've made this comment to her, like it's everybody's talking about it. So if you have not checked it out yet, I'm going to go ahead and contact her and let her know that we can include that in the show notes as well. Okay. So once you get, you know, your set list of items that you've typed out and they're in ink, that's when you can add that inflation percentage, give yourself that percentage increase across the board with everything that you offer. Okay. All right, moving on. This is, this next one is a really great idea to just do the beginning of the year and mid-year even, um, connect with a friend and compare prices. It's really simple and it doesn't have to be intimidating and it's kind of empowering because you're like, oh, they're charging this, then I can charge that. Or like, oh, maybe maybe they should be using my prices. Like it's just a really great idea to compare with your peers. And I understand if you have concerns, like you don't want to compare your prices with your immediate competitors. I mean, I have mixed feelings on that. I have a great seamstress in town and I feel like our prices are pretty comparable and I've seen one of her invoices that she has openly shared with me. I've talked to her about my package prices. Like there's no, there's nothing really to hide. And also I feel like we're charging equitably. Like we're in a similar charge bracket or price back bracket. So there's no reason for us to keep things back. So for me, I feel like 
that's a great relationship and I feel fine being open about that. And I don't want to put that on you if you feel like, oh, I don't have the same openness with my local seamstresses. I get that. So if you feel kind of weird about that, just think about other seamstresses within your region. So think outside the state or like for me, you know, I could reach out to somebody else in the Pacific Northwest or along the West Coast. West Coast weddings are so different than East Coast weddings, so different from Midwest weddings, you know, so just connect with somebody who's in your region. Or if you're a rural seamstress, connect with another rural seamstress. And I actually love this idea because I think I have several rural seamstresses in our membership and they've kind of struggled with prices because they're like, well, I kind of live in the middle of nowhere. So I don't want to charge too much because I don't want to drive away traffic. And then they've been able to connect with other seamstresses in a similar demographic who are charging kind of a premium because they're serving these brides who don't want to drive into the city. So they're providing this like local experience. So it, it's, it was kind of cool for them to connect on that and hear different perspectives. So you, whether you find somebody in your local area or in a similar demographic as you, that is a great way to start and just compare your price list, like start an email and Hey, can I send you like a Google, Google doc of my prices and send me yours. And it's a great conversation and it inspires you to tweak some things and maybe consider even charges that you wouldn't have considered before. You know, I know some people charge differently, like with bustles, like whether you're doing like an American bustle or French bustle, some people charge differently for bustles, depending on what kind of bustle style you're doing. And so that was kind of cool for me to learn too. Like, okay, personally, I charge the same whatever style, but I think it's also a good idea to charge differently for different styles. Okay. This is a great example of the rabbit trail that I said that you and I could connect with on a personal level. And here I am going down the bustle rabbit trail. Anyway, so you got that. Okay. So compare with a friend or a peer. And then you might just start a really great friendship too. Okay, moving on. Number three. Now, this is kind of embarrassing, but I'm going to tell you anyway. It took me longer than I'd like to admit to actually charge for sales tax. Okay. Because I was definitely in the camp of like, well, I mean, I'm the business owner, so I don't want them to have to pay my taxes. What? Like, why was I thinking that? But I was really struggling with like, charging an additional fee for sales tax because like I hate sales tax. So I'm like, I don't want my clients to have paid sales tax because I know that I hate seeing that on my receipt. Okay. That's not a reason to not charge sales tax. And maybe you're one of those lucky people who your states do not have sales tax. I'm not in that bracket. I'm in Washington state. And I think our sales tax is like 9.5%. Like it's really high. So that is a really easy bonus to give yourself. Start charging sales tax. And especially if you use something like Dubsado or Square Up or Stripe that you're accepting payments online, they they typically reserve your tax money in a separate account or like a separate segment. So when you're like looking at your annual income, your taxes are not part of that. It's like in your little tax money bubble. Okay. And I know there's a more technical term to use, but Money bubble will do. Okay, so charge for your sales tax because that should not come out of your own pocket. I'm speaking from experience and I will tell you once I started charging for sales tax, like a normal human being, like a normal professional human being should, I suddenly did not have to put as much away separately for taxes because guess what? It was already done. And especially I use Square Up currently and they would just take it out. So it wasn't part of like, I didn't see that number as part of my income. It was already something separate. So bloop in my mind, it was something separate in the tax bank account, you know, 
good to go. So charge for sales tax if you're not doing that yet. And if you are, congratulations, you are one step ahead of me for sure. And don't tell anybody that. That's embarrassing that I took that long to do. Okay, moving on. You know how I feel about fitting packages and about charging for consultations and charging for fittings. Your professional time is your professional time. And so if you've taken the masterclass all about building branded fitting packages into your portfolio, I've talked about how, you know, my hourly rate for sewing, like when I'm actually like working on the dress, I'm behind the machine, that hourly rate is different than my consultation rate and my fitting rate because it's just different work. And that's how I develop my fitting packages. You may have a different philosophy behind that and that's fine. You might think like my hourly rate is my hourly rate, whatever I'm doing. Okay. More power to you. That's great. But it's totally a personal decision of, of how you would charge what you charge for your consultations or for your fittings. But I do feel like it is your time, whether or not you're actually doing the sewing. There's so much work that goes into preparing to actually meet with the client. Like Again, we talk about this in the masterclass, but you consider all of the work that you do before you even meet the client, before they even like step foot into your studio, that should be accounted for when it comes to charging for your fittings. And then you think of, it's not just the time in person with that particular bride, but you're, you're providing skill and professionalism that you've gained along the way through experience as a bridal seamstress. And that's what you're bringing to the table for your fittings, um, consultations, this is a big one. I mean, I know it, it's kind of split. I feel like 50-50 of what I hear from people if they charge for consultations or not. But if you have somebody taking your time so you can tell them what you charge them and you're giving them your professional opinion and your input on the dress, or especially if they want something like significant, like a, like a, a redesign or like an heirloom reinvention or whatever, like that should be, that should not be free because it's still time. So it doesn't need to be your hourly sewing rate if that's not comfortable for you, but that should be, in my opinion, a charge. Also, okay, steaming. I always press my gowns. Like every seam that I work on gets pressed, right? But if you have this like big tule ball gown and it's going to take an hour to steam, that also should be an additional charge, right? So I know that there's this fine line between like, okay, you don't want to like return the dress sewn and in quote unquote shambles because it's not pressed. I get that. But if the bride wants to go the extra mile and have all the crinoline steamed and everything steamed for the big day, that should be an additional charge as well. Because we know it's not just steaming, right? It's like how you pin up the dress. And then you like, I don't know if you follow Katrina Munoz, but she has this really great idea about putting tissue paper in the dress a certain way after it's steamed. So it doesn't have that like crinkle star. So that was really cool. She shared that with our members like I don't know, six months ago. And I'm like, how about this? So anyway, that's a great little tip. But what I'm saying is there's so much more than just like turning on the steamer and turning it off. It's like a lot involved, right? So in my personal opinion, that should be an additional charge. That's also another rabbit's trail. So point four was just charging for fittings or consultations. And if you have that in the back of your mind, like, oh, well, I don't know if people would still book with me if I'm the only one charging for a consultation or I'm the only one charging for fittings, they still will book with you. Um, I'm the only one locally who charges for fittings. And if they don't work with me, okay, well, that just means somebody else will have an opportunity to work with me who does want to pay for fittings, you know? So for me, I, I feel like it's it's meant to be whoever's meant to work with me and it hasn't affected my business negatively. And I will say that everyone who has hesitated, like, oh, I don't know if I should implement this because I feel like it would drive business away. 
once they, I can guarantee this is like a 100% success rate. And everyone who has started charging for fittings or offering packages have said, oh my goodness, I wish I started this earlier because it's added 15 to $20,000 in revenue. And I don't even keep track of the people who don't book with me because I still have full books. So it works out. Um, anyway, I'd love to talk more about this with you because I love this topic. And when I first started implementing fitting packages, this was, I don't, I can't even remember how long ago, like a long time ago. And I didn't know anybody who charged for fittings. Literally. It was like, what? Charging packages? Oh, and like not just in my area, but like ever. And I, I just knew that like higher end vendors had packages, they had investment guides. I knew this was something really typical that you saw with like wedding photographers or wedding planners. And so I thought, okay, why can't we do that as seamstresses and have the same package offer? You have like a luxe offer, tiers, a tier of offers to choose from, an investment guide that's something in addition to your website. I'm getting off on off topic again, but I'm getting really excited about this. And it was scary to implement, but it worked. So these things, it what all of, all four of these things that we just talked about, raising your prices by the percentage of inflation of your local inflation, or raising your prices based on what you learned from your peers or your even your competitors or your friends, like charging sales tax, charging for consultations and fittings. It's always going to feel a little bit like when you first do it, and that's normal. Well, for some of us, it's normal. For some of us, it's like, what? Get over it. And that's good. <laughs> I wish I were more like you, <laughs> but it's normal to have those kind of like hesitations, but just give it at least like six months, you know, test run it. And I think you'll probably be pleasantly surprised how you don't get the kickback that in your mind, you're envisioning this big dramatic, like, I will never work with you because you're so expensive and you overcharge and you're not worth that. Like that actually doesn't really happen. I can probably count on less than one hand. I've had three people who've been like, oh yeah, you're too expensive. Okay. And can I also say one more thing? If you hear from a couple clients that like are potential clients that you're too expensive, it's probably a good thing because that means that you're not the right person for everyone. It helps you just really focus in on who is it that you really want to work with, you know? So that's a little extra tidbit. Okay. I hope this helps you. This is a great time of year to just reevaluate things. Take a step back. What's working? What's not working? What systems work for you? Are you like overworking? Do you feel like, okay, I'm putting in like 70 hours a week, but like I'm barely making rent. If that's what's happening, then it's not working correctly, right? I want you to be able to like pay the bills and then some and and have money for your retirement fund and have your money for your vacations or whatever. And also go home by seven. Okay, let's have this be the year where we're not sewing till 2 a.m. and you're not putting in 70, 80 hours a week to feel exhausted and feel like you still aren't caught up. Like that's that's not how it's supposed to be. I have a question for you. I was talking about this with a friend uh, recently and I wonder what you think. If you are making like, you know, your desired monthly income, but that comes with 70 hour work weeks, work until 2 a.m. or having to get to your shop at 4 a.m. Is that still considered good money? You know what I'm saying? Because for me, maybe I'm just lazy. I don't know. But I'm like, that sounds horrible. <laughs> like, no, I need to go to bed and I need to go home after work. And I think it's it's not crazy to be able to do both, to be able to do what you love to do and do it really well and set your prices and create multiple offers within your portfolio so you're not just getting your money from sewing. Like there's so many different ways to think outside the box so that you are working like a 30 hour week 
so I don't know, you can work a 20 hour week. I don't know. And, and make your financial goals come to life. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. So is it still good money? If you're working yourself to the bone? I don't know if the, if the amount is the same. Okay. Well, think about that. Let me know what you think. DM me on the Instagrams. I'd love to hear from you. If you have not yet, take advantage of that free download to put your SMART goals in motion and just really get those details crystal clear on what you are working towards in 2024. I'm really excited for you. I think this is a really exciting time in our industry. And just the past few months, I've been able to meet so many new listeners. Well, meet, meet through my DMs, right? And I'm excited for what the next six to 12 months will hold for us. So have a wonderful week. Wish me luck on this decorating project. I don't know when it'll be ready for you, but I want to say maybe the next podcast episode will have a cooler background, but I don't know. I can't make promises. One work in progress at a time, right? I got quilts to baste, jackets to fix. Okay. All right. Have a wonderful week and hopefully I will see you here next Tuesday. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. And if you're feeling really generous, leave a review. Thanks everyone.